Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Sly Hooper podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. We got an interesting episode today. We're talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers. They kind of was starting to get some national attention um, as they have kind of exceeded expectations this year. Um, I think most of us thought they were going to be a fringe play-in team, honestly, probably a lottery team, but they were kind of decent to start the year. And then the last two weeks, it's kind of been a a disaster. They've lost two out of their, they've only won two out of their last 11 games, but overall the season for them has been interesting. And I couldn't think of a better person to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers than one of my good friends, Evan Damarell. He has been on this podcast two times, so this will be the trifecta for Evan, co-host of the Locked On Cavs podcast with Chris Manning. He is also an editor for Fear the Sword, which is the SB Nation blog for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Also writes for Forbes Sports. He just did a really good feature on Colin Sexton. And recently, well, as of this recording today, he released a story about Andre Drummond and how frustrating it has been watching him, especially since the Jared Allen trade. Um, We go into all of that. We go into their Hot start to start the season, their recent struggles, the future of the Darius Garland, Colin Sexton backcourt, and basically everything in between that. So if you have not watched the Cavs a lot this year or assume that they're bad or don't know any of their players, this would be a good time to listen to Evan and uh, have him give you the skinny on what's going on with the Cavs this year. So without further ado, here's my guest, Mr. Evan Damarell. Joining me for the third time on the Sly Hooper podcast, the trifecta, but the first time as a guest on the podcast under Blue Wire Hustle, my friend, my buddy, a rising Cavs media star, writing for a bunch of outlets, has a podcast he co-hosts with Chris Manning, the Locked on Cavs podcast, Evan Damarell, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I'm glad to see you on Blue Wire Hustle now. It's a good program and a good initiative. Uh, shouts to Ty Windish for getting it my ear first. I jokingly submitted an application a while back, <laughs> and then he messaged me saying, like, hey, are you actually serious about this? I'm like, dude, I barely have enough time to sleep and eat to begin with. You think I can manage another podcast? <laughs> He's just like, eh, probably not. I'm like, well, I'll do it if you do it. He's like, I have zero time to do it now, especially now because Blue Wire is his career. So yep. no, I'm happy you're on the network. Blue Wire is full of good folks. and. For those oh, who yeah. listening to Jordan, you should. And if you haven't yet, what the hell's wrong with you? Well, thank thanks for that uh, strong endorsement. Cool. And yes, shout out to Ty Windish. Um, when you when when he uh, DM'd me, it was kind of it was one of those easy decision things. I was like, all right, yes, I want to join Blue Wire Hustle. And there's a, met a bunch of interesting people already. Got our Discord going. Discord honestly has been a lifesaver <laughs> in the uh, 2020 year. Um, being a part of the Locked On Cavs Discord and the Blue Wire Discord, and then my Discord with my homies, it's kind of been a, it's been a lifesaver in a lot of ways in in this uh, quarantine time. But first of all, before we get into the Cavaliers, which have they have had an interesting season to say the least. Um, let's uh, start with the let's start with this. So, how did you? We're, and I want to ask this question to everybody that comes on that uh, 
when I want to talk about somebody's team. But how did you first get into Cavs fandom? Um, I know, obviously, but for the listener out there who doesn't quite know the background of how you became a Cavs fan, uh, what is your your, uh, backstory? Let's uh, kick back and relax it. uh, Just talk about the early days of Evan and his uh, basketball and Cavs fandom. So how did that come about? So it was elementary school i was nine or ten years old i believe at the time and one lebron james was taking the world by storm with saint vincent saint mary and it was a lot of fun to watch on tv and um they played a local school in cincinnati area and i watched them play and after that game i told my dad i'm like okay well because i think the talk at the time was like yeah he's going to the nba and um Mm -hmm. i just said like okay dad whatever team he goes to i'm going to be a fan of and Lo and behold, it was Cleveland, and then soon after that, we moved up to Cleveland, curiously enough, and um, it just kind of just worked out that way, that way, and then I was always a LeBron fan first, um, but I became, I really fell in love with the Cavs during those early years, and then it just became a really fun time, and then when he left for Miami, I think I got what everybody else was getting, like, I just felt betrayed and hurt, and I stuck with the Cavs. A lot of my friends thought, oh, Evan's just going to hop over the Miami bandwagon and just ride with LeBron and just forget about us and be annoying about it. But no, I stuck with the Cavs, and mm. I watched a lot of Luke Herringote and Semir Den and Ryan Hollins and uh, God, <laughs> Samardo Samuels. and um, Wow, that's a name I haven't heard of forever. Christian, Christian Ianga and his frostbitten foot and all that other stuff. Um, it was a fun time, and then LeBron coming back was like a top moment for you. The 2016, the championship was one of the best moments of my life. Uh, if my girlfriend has to be listening, she knows this, but sorry. And um, it's just, uh, you know, it's always been a fun time, and I've like kind of ridden or died with this team. And then for those of you who may not know or hear me for the first time with Jordan, like Jordan and I got to know each other during hashtag basketball days, and Jordan, I think you were doing the Sixers at the time, and I was doing the Hornets. Yep. I initially applied to be the Cavs guy, and I got turned down. They're like, oh, well, are there any other teams you like? I'm like, I guess I like the Hornets. And then the Cavs kind of worked out, and then I pinch myself most days because I get paid to spout my opinion online about my favorite team in the world, and I cover them through Forbes. I do, I'm an editor at Fear the, SB Nation's Fear the Sword now. Yep. Um, I cover the team for WKYC, which is the local news station in Cleveland. And then by proxy, WKYC's parent company also owns my podcast, Locked on Cavs. We're we're at that five days a week, and Jordan's a frequent guest on there as well. Um, He's always going to be a consummate friend of the pod there. And um, that's just kind of like my fandom. And vice versa here, of course. I appreciate it. But always will be a LeBron guy. Very happy for what happened to him with LA last year. Um, I'm glad people are finally kind of putting respect on his name now that he's one of the Lakers. the Cavs don't need to win anything big for the rest of my life because they're because tw- 2016 I'm good. Ditto for the Browns. Like, yeah, was I upset or bummed and lost to Kansas City? Yeah, my girlfriend's like, yeah, you seem kind of sad. I'm like, you don't even know how devastated I was when Cleveland lost in 2015 or 17. Yeah, right. <laughs> in the NBA Finals. So this is pretty. I mean, even 2017, like I was pretty sad because I was like one of the best offensive teams ever. But 2016, I just like think back. I'm like, that moment is one of the best moments ever, and I'm good. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't need it, and I'm. I'll be a fan forever. And you said it. You said it nicely. They are in a fascinating and interesting squad this year. Uh, the good times are over, though. I'll say with the Cavs, especially because we're recording this the day after they were embarrassed by the Denver Nuggets, and um, 
it's just it's just a weird time in general yeah you you texted me you texted me last night you're just like i hope you're not watching this game and i was just like yeah, yeah I, I gave you a shout on the locked on Cavs the other day. So I was like, listen, Jordan has league pass and he willingly watches the Cavs and texts me about them. And it means a lot that you do that. And I think it's like, I think that's cool that I'm like, that I think I'm like, oh no, I hope he's not watching tonight. So, <laughs> yeah. And I texted you, I was like, I saw the score at halftime and I just, I stuck, honestly, LaMelo and the Hornets have been, uh, they've been fascinating all year to me. So I, I kind of stuck with the Hornets Grizzlies and that was a blowout too, but I mean, I like watching LaMelo Ball, and I kind of I stuck with the Suns and the Bucks game. It's I kind of made an mm-hmm. economic decision on that one. But, yeah, man, um, I, I've tried – honestly, like as a – well, as a host of a general podcast, NBA podcast, obviously you try to watch every game you can, and you try not to talk out the side of your ass when you're talking about, you know, teams that – well, obviously are outside of my favorite team, the Sixers, but you try to watch as much as you can, but you can't watch all the games. So that's why it's great to have people like you on and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like I had Nick Agar Johnson on our former hashtag teammate a few weeks ago to talk about the Kings, even though I do watch a lot of Sacramento Kings basketball, obviously living mm-hmm. here, but figured, you know, it'd be good to get more local eyes on local teams and stuff like that to, you know, steer the conversation the right way. You know what to think about the team and stuff like that. And I, I was telling you before the show, like I felt I tried to get you on like a week earlier or like a two weeks earlier when the vibes were still good. But as you tweeted yesterday, you're just like, I think the good vibes are over. Um, so, <laughs> but I would yeah. have you on my podcast anytime. But I felt like if you wanted to catch the good vibes, like today was like the expiration date <laughs> in terms of yeah. like having somebody on. Um, like two weeks ago was the sell by date, and you have to sit in your fridge for a couple weeks. And yeah. then you come to like take a bite. You're like, oh no, this is spoiled and ruined. That's, yeah. that's where the yeah. calves are at now. Yeah. And uh, let's just, let's just uh, go into it um, because I, as much as I do want to mention that the 2017 was under 2017 team was underrated, uh, we could talk 30 minutes about you know the good days, but we're in the present and right now, the Cavs have lost two out of their or they have won two out of their last 11 games. Um, mm-hmm. They are they got killed by the Nuggets. They're on a West Coast road trip right now where they are facing the warriors or the blazers then the warriors and then the clippers which and the spurs and then the spurs which yikes um, Yeah. okay let's just start off with this general question i'm not okay. going to do like that if you had one word i'm going to give you two words <laughs> so if you had two words to describe this cab season right now um now that we're more than a quarter of a way through the season what would your two words be can i do it in three Yes, of course. You could you could do oh, three. sorry, four actually. Low expectations, high results. I didn't expect the Cavs team, this Cavs team to look so promising early, but I think it's just a case of the rest of the league wasn't in game shape yet and maybe the Cavs had did have a lighter schedule to start the season. Um I'm mm-hmm. trying to think who they're playing early on. They had those two games against Washington postponed. So they play like Charlotte, Detroit, they beat your Sixers, but then they and they beat Atlanta, which was a big win. Then they lose to Orlando, who isn't terrible, but they lose to New York. Indiana, who isn't the best team either. Milwaukee, they get trounced by. They lose to Memphis and Utah again. Um, they beat Brooklyn twice, which was like one of the biggest wins. And then that Detroit. was like the height of like 
the Cavs, the Cavs, like everybody paying attention to the Cavs. That was one of the good vibes with the Apex when Rachel Nichols was in on the uh, media call. And then Wob was doing his bullshit. I'm going to record from the TV, which isn't even entertaining. But he started. He started. Same night Brad Beal's wife called him out. No, that was a different night. (laughs) That was a different night. But I'm glad she, like you said, I'm glad she caught him on his bullshit. But uh, me too. But uh, that was the the Nets were like the apex of that. Yeah, that's like the it was the debut of their big three, and mm-hmm. Colin Sexton going nuclear for forty two was a lot of fun. Gave and then they follow that up with yeah buckets upon buckets. It was just a fun game, and like I thought for a while, I'm like, okay, the Cavs aren't going to win this, but I'll have fun watching because this Brooklyn team on paper just has the potential to be fun offensively, and they're a mess defensively, mm-hmm. and um, Cleveland kind of exploited that, and then. Darius Garland said it best where the following night Sexton instead of, you know, or two nights later, instead of trying to go for 42 again, Sexton, you know, Brooklyn focused on him defensively and he adapted to that and he put up 25 and nine and he's been such a fun player and one of the lone bright spots of this Cavaliers season this season. Mm. And um, yeah, no, you're kind of going through it. Like they won two of their last in their last 11. Um, let's be honest, they barely squeaked by the Minnesota Timberwolves on February 1st, and if that's the yeah. case, they would have lost eight in a row at this point, and every loss is... I mean, the Knicks loss on January 29th, which they lost 102-81, was pretty rough. Darius Garland looked good, but it wasn't a great game. Um, then they were flat-out embarrassed two nights later by the Timberwolves, and then come back to win because they benched Andre Drummond. Funny how that works. And then they proceed <laughs> to lose two... And then they're just, they're just on a slog of very good teams and even like they play oklahoma city on february 21st the thunder are a pesky team like they took the lakers to overtime two nights in a row now and if cleveland isn't playing at like full energy and with larry nance jr sideline for at least the next month and a half to two months with the uh surgery on his hand like that's very realistic and um i mean in between that like you mentioned they play up next portland the clippers the warriors and after that it's the spurs the thunder which probably aren't going to be winnable games, but they feel like they should be winnable games on paper. Then Atlanta, who's a good team, Houston, your Sixers, Houston again, and Indiana. Like that's a rough end of February. And that's also the beginning of March because Houston, Indiana is the beginning of March. I but... mean, hopefully we play you guys with Joel Embiid because you guys fucking kicked our ass last time. Like with every team, we don't yeah. have the big fella, <laughs> big fella there. Yeah, man, we might need that one more Andre Drummond, Joel Embiid goodbye game because that's the end of the first half of the season. I don't think they come back till towards the trade deadline or after yep. the trade deadline. So, I'm always in for a final. good Embiid drum and beat down. <laughs> always. Yes, some are. Um, I feel like the doc hasn't playing good ball though. I'll give him credit. I. I'm yeah, not, I, I heard you. I heard. I I heard your. I heard your. Uh, pre your preseason podcast. You weren't high on the Sixers, which you know, understandable. I get it. I get it. I I wasn't. I'm just not high on Doc Rivers. I think Ty Lue was the better option. And Me too. Ty's doing well with the Clippers, but hey, it's it's working out for now. It was so. one of those. It was one of those things where it was like I would like Ty Lue. I would love to have Ty Lue over Doc Rivers, but Doc Rivers is I. I think he's a good coach. I think he's kind of overrated. Um, and yeah. I think him and that entire 08 Celtics team are just running on fumes at this point. Not even fumes, like oh, it's like Luke particles. Walton. So, Luke Walton still, if, once Luke Walton's inevitably fired by the Kings, even though the Kings are playing okay ball under him right now, um, he's going to ride off the fumes and the resume builder that was sitting on the sidelines of the Warriors team that just yeah one on its own so and the that one year he got all the lakers young kids to play defense and they were ranked yeah. like 15th he got a lot of mileage off that too um speaking of defense the one thing that was interesting to me about the Cavs is 
I think we all figured their offense wasn't going to be good. They have a bunch of young players. Um, they they have a bunch of young players. They probably don't know how to, I guess, reach a level where they know how to play um, efficient modern offense, even though they have players and the outline of a team that looks like they could run that if you remove Andre Drummond from the equation, of course. Mm-hmm. But their defense was the one thing where – it was going on into late January and you're just like, okay, the Cavs might actually be like a legit good defensive, defensive team. They were constantly in the top five or six with the Lakers, the Sixers. Then you guys had, you guys had a lot of injuries, but it was like weird timing with the injuries. Like a goes out after the first three games and then Sexton goes Sexton and Garland both go out. Um, as a Coro is coming back. Now you guys have lost Larry Nance Jr. Kevin Love has been out for a long time now. Um, He's but, only played one or two games, I think, this year. And not that Kevin Love would help you defensively, but finish, part of defense is finishing uh, the possession with defensive rebounds, and Love has been one of the best rebounders for a long time. But uh, yeah. I'm sure you are aware of this stat, but I basically said it to after before before January 23rd. So right after you guys beat the Nets back-to-back times. Before January 23rd, the Cavs had the second-best defensive rating in the NBA, allowing 106 points per 100 possessions per cleaning the glass. After that, you want to take a gander at what the ranking for your guys' defense is. Uh, in terms of defensive rating, last I checked, I think they're almost 20th at this point, I want to say, or 19th, 19th, another 18th. So they're uh, 18th overall on cleaning the glass. 18th overall on defensive rating. But yeah, after which... January 24th, oh, I, defen- I imagine it's abhorrent. It's 119, which is 29th. Yeah, I believe that. And so I'm so from your vantage point, obviously, like I mentioned, there's been some injuries, but even through the injuries, you guys were playing solid defense. But now I don't know how it's going to bounce back, especially because honestly, and it's not like it's not I'm not parody trying to parrot nerd Twitter or anything like that. But I legitimately thought Larry Nance Jr. was an underrated player for you guys just defensively and kind of like is that weird Draymond hub around the elbow passer type of big. Yeah. And that's how the Cavs utilize him. Um, and I'm just wondering, what have you seen from the Cavs and why has their defense taken – it's honestly taken, like, a giant step back. It reminds me of the Kings. Uh, they had, like, this stretch this season where they allowed, like, 124 points per 100 possessions or something like that. They've been better recently, but this drop-off is pretty Kings-esque from what I saw from them this year. Um, yeah, a lot of it does have to do with the fact that Larry Nance was injured, and it's unfortunate that he is such a crux player for the Cavs. Um, unfortunate to an extent, but he's really freaking good at what he does, and like it's a compliment because teams have reached out to say like they're interested in him and everything. And I just know for a fact that he isn't available at this point, and. Like that's a, a it's a it's a multifaceted thing. He's a really good player on the floor, and also the fact that he is you know the son of a franchise icon at this point is also a huge thing too. Yep. Um, but other than that, um, Larry Nance has really been the crux. Like you said, Kevin Love doesn't make isn't the difference maker, but the Cavs creating on defense really does hinge on the Cavs trading for Jared Allen and losing the focus and engagement of Andre Drummond because. Early into the season, it was Nance, it was Drummond, a granted contract year Drummond, but like 
a big reason Drummond was such a big part of this as well, but um, just active hands. It's like a cliche, but like the Cavs were like one of the top teams in terms of deflections and stuff. And that's like a recently tracked stat and Larry Nance is the league leader in that regard. But um, like he was good. Drummond is doing well as a rim protector, but he's also doing well in steals as well. Like the Cavs were, a solid defensive unit like Isaac Okoro was showing like intangible stuff, like stuff you can't record on a box score where he was defending the best players on a night to night basis. Like I was talking to my co-host Chris Manning about this and JB Bickerstaff has touched on this a few times now. Cause like people have asked him, um, he Isaac Okoro in the, like the last month has defended the likes of Kevin Durant, James Harden and Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown, um lebron james d'angelo russell's no slouch Kawhi leonard and paul george Giannis adenicupo and chris middleton devin, devin booker, booker the other <laughs> night uh last night was just getting taken to task i mean I, the nuggets are just a very solid team to begin with and so like it, and you had to factor in that like okoro has had no training camp he's had no summer league i mean jamal murray played for the nuggets too and granted he was three to six and was pretty unremarkable but the nuggets were just solid from all over the place but um no it's just it was a team effort and a lot of it was jb bickerstaff knowing how to push the right buttons with this team and figure out what does and doesn't work and they're a defense focused team and like jb shared with me and chris on our show once that they studied a lot of film of miami and denver and teams that really play through the strengths of their big men and i think cleveland's offensive mm. identity was built around focusing it through Kevin Love and Larry Nance is like those tertiary playmaking big men who can stretch the floor a little bit. And the problem is Nance is also a hesitant three-point shooter and him having a wrist injury and then breaking his hand is probably going to make it, well, made him an even more hesitant three-point shooter, but because he doesn't want to make detrimental plays that hurt the rest of the team. Right. And um, yeah, no, and then trading for like those two being injured doesn't help because especially that's like the entire identity on both ends of the floor that Cavs are trying to build around. Like that's unideal. Um, Sexton being a bucket getter and being so good and promising is obviously like a bright spot. Some of the younger players looking good too is a bright spot, but um, it just kind of fell apart because Andre Drummond is, a, I wrote about this in the piece for Forbes, you and I were discussing before we started recording too, like on offense, like it's night and day between Jared Allen and Andre Drummond when he's there, either of them is playing the five individually not together because they're playing together right now which is just stupid and i think the Cavs are gonna blow that up at this point but um <laughs> right like with alan he has such a low usage rate because he's a pick and roll big man who's a lob threat for the young guards and it's more allows the Cavs to play through those young guards and play a bit more of a modern offense and attempt more threes and you know alan doesn't such a high usage player you look at drummond who has a usage percentage of 31.2 percent which is absurd Oof. for a center especially for a bad team like cleveland um it's more so kicking it to him in the post and then he will take a bunch of attempts at the rim rebounded a few times maybe sometimes it goes in maybe it doesn't he the andre turns drummond it over. special yeah it's the andre drummond special like on full display times 10 it's worse than it was in detroit from what i've gathered because some pistons fans are like wait his percentage is that high the highest it ever got in detroit was like in the 20s and i'm like yeah oh it's it's bad but um I think things will get better if the Cavs do trade Drummond. I think it will happen by the deadline because Kobe Altman saying that they have every intention of re-signing Jared Allen because he quite literally said it said he said it helps them to have Allen in house in terms of restricted free agency and because they can't assign it to an extension until this off upcoming off season. And they've had they've had we well this is this is a good transition into Andre Drummond and Jared Allen because. You know it's a good trade when 
the Nets when the other fan base that's losing that player is like, oh my God, we had we had to trade that guy. And you're obviously getting James Harden, so of course you'll do that trade. But everybody loves Jared Allen. And it's easy to see why. Like he is a perfect big for the modern NBA, like you said. Um it's well, okay, we should I want to go to Drummond first because yeah. the Jared Allen stuff, I have been I have wanted Jared Allen to start and when he got his starting when he got his chance in Brooklyn, um, it was awesome to watch. And then DeAndre Jordan basically came to the Nets through – it's not nepotism because they're not family, but it's whatever the friend version of that is, it's that <laughs> because um, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are his friends. And DJ got the starting job over Allen, which I thought was bullshit. But yeah. um, Andre no. Drummond, I talked about this on my other podcast with – uh, a co-host named Chris of my own, <laughs> uh, Chris Okamura. And uh, I was saying, I, if, if the Cavs could get 2016-17, I think that was the year he made the All-Star team, where Drummond averaged like five assists. He was hitting backdoor cutters. He was active. He was defle- getting deflections. Not like the traditional rim protector, but he had a long-ass wingspan, and he's huge. And if he's active, at least he'll be a positive on that end. And that's what it looked like for yeah. the first, what, basically before the Jared Allen trade. And I was yeah, telling you. Yeah, an engaged Andre Drummond is a great player. Yeah. Not he's, a great player, but he's a very good He's a player, very that. impactful player. Um yeah. and so and I was we were talk like you said, we were talking about it before we got on, but that Forbes sports piece, uh it was it was definitely it was it was an evisceration, but like only in the way that you could do it. It was it not nice, but it was it wasn't like nice, but it was also it, it wasn't uh it wasn't too mean, but it also wasn't too nice. You were just lining up the facts in a row. This is Andre Drummond's stats since the Jared Allen trade, which I will read off right now. Um, he has averaged, since Allen's arrival, Drummond has been averaging 18 points per game and thirteen, basically 13 rebounds per game. And that sounds cool. That's a double-double, like, what's Andre Drummond's problem? The fact that he is shooting 51% at the rim right yeah. now which is like a 12 percent drop from his uh career average like you were saying in the uh in the Forbes piece and the effort that he's been putting in and the fact that his field goal percentage is so low like just in the numbers you could tell that we're back to this Andre Drummond again which is the Andre yeah. Drummond we have seen for most of his career and it's got to be fr- I imagine that as a Cavs fan I don't know it's it was kind of tough to get uh gauge like what the consensus reaction was on Drummond because it sounded like a lot of people who are Cavs fans who have watched Andre Drummond or follow the NBA generally were probably like oh, god damn it no like what we're gonna have to rely on contract year Drummond to come out and then there was other Cavs fans who probably didn't watch as many Pistons games I'd imagine and yeah. and saw Drummond's box score stats and the one all-star team he made in 2017-18 and they're like well what's the problem we got a pretty decent big man he puts up good numbers so what was what was the gauge of the fan base um when Drummond was traded last year because it just it just it 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 was it felt like it was a mix and I couldn't really get a handle on it but I'm looking at it and I'm just like 
they traded for Andre Drummond, like, and I wasn't a big fan of it just because yeah, I've seen Drummond get demolished um, by Embiid uh, so many times, obviously. And then just watching Pistons games and them trying to figure out the Blake Andre Drummond front court. And it, he's just, he's one of those players where it's just, it just, it seems like fake numbers to me. I don't know. It's just, it's simplistic to say, but what was the Cavs fan base's general thoughts when Drummond arrived? Um, they weren't upset because to put it in context, they traded John Henson and Brandon Knight to, well, John yeah. Henson's a good player and I'm still fascinated on why he isn't with an NBA team this year. I don't know what's up, dude. He was productive in Cleveland. He made the most of his minutes in Detroit. He looked good in Milwaukee when he came to Cleveland to begin with, but he was just injury yep. prone. And that was a part of his, a bit of his problem in Cleveland is dealing with injuries, but also just John Bayline not liking him. And, John Bayland was an idiot by all accounts. In terms of coaching, he's a nice man off the court. But um, like Brandon Knight, injuries have ruined his career, and I don't think he's ever going to play again because of it because he lost all that potential, all-star potential he had with the Bucks way back when. Mm -hmm. But um, so the Cavs took those two assets, and then they, which were expiring contracts, and they took a second-round pick via the Golden State Warriors as a future one. I think it's 2022 is the pick, or 2023, one of those years. But imagine it's going to be a mid to late second rounder. So the Cavs essentially traded nothing of value to Detroit for Detroit, just to get off of Andre Drummond's remaining two years on his deal, because he had a player option this year, which of course he took, he picked up with Cleveland for 28.7 million. But um, the Cavs are just like, Hey, here's an all-star caliber, big man that is cheap and available on the market. We have a all-star caliber power forward. Who's in the twilight of his career and Kevin love. We have some young guards who might need a bit more of a veteran presence in a lob threat. And maybe they can get him to engage in the pick and roll and everything else. And it just didn't work out. Um, it takes two to tango. The Cavs have tried to make this work more than a few times and Drummond never just wanted to dance with them. And so the Cavs found a new dance partner in Jared Allen at this point. And, is it unfortunate? Yeah, but like I said, like a locked in Andre Drummond is a good player. Like he is not actively harmful. Like I said on Locked On Cavs this morning, and I think I even said it in the piece too. Like he's actively harmful to the growth and development of this young Cavaliers team. Mm -hmm. Well, Jared Allen fits into the timeline and actually accentuates the growth and development of these younger players, which is helpful. Um, no, Drummond just isn't the right fit and i'm a big proponent of if you trade him or let's say he's going to be bought out and by all reports right now and from what i've heard it's not going to happen but things can change after the deadline of course yeah um let's say he's bought out his ideal situation or trade partner his ideal situation would be a contending team or a playoff team where there's a clear and established pecking order between who is the most prominent player on the roster so so kind of like uh, the raptors yeah, the Raptors are my example, and Toronto is a team that is interested in Andre as well, which is promising because there are going from Marcus All slash Serge Ibaka to Aaron Baines is a pretty and big Chris drop Boucher off. and Wananabi. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Drummond's no upgrade, or he's not comparable to Gasol or Ibaka, but he's certainly an upgrade on what they have right now. But Especially like, an engaged Drummond, he's. Yeah. I think he'd clearly be the best big on that team. Yeah, well, he absolutely. Would. If you consider Siakam a big, I don't. But, I don't. Yeah. So, but there's an established pecking order in Toronto too, where you have Siakam, you have Lowry. I mean, OG and Anubi at times. There's Fred Van Fleet as well, who's just awesome for the Raptors. And then Nick Nurse is a very, very good coach and an offensive innovator. And I think he could 
Like JB Bickerstaff, when Drummond was engaged, was able to push the right buttons to maximize him on defense. I think Nick Nurse could do the same thing on offense with Andre. Yep. And I think we could get a promising return there. So I think if you put him on a playoff team, let's say he's bought out and he could, there's so many teams that probably line up. I think the Clippers would be a team that's interested. I think Boston would be a team that's interested because Tristan Thompson hasn't been giving promising returns for them just because mileage is kind of caught up to TT. And I think he's not being properly utilized in Boston. Like some fans kind of it, like in Cleveland, he was a switch defender who had a nose for boards. I love Boston slander. Give me all of that. Brad Stevens is a very fine coach, but um, (laughs) say it. He's he's overrated. He's he's always overrated as hell, man. Um, You've seen the light after Brett Brown has let go too, but um, no, I still think that's a better coach than Brad. I think. Oh, I think Brad's good at developing players. But I like Brad it. Stevens has really crapped his pants so many times against Cleveland in the playoffs and just on a, such a consistent basis. Even when LeBron left, like Brad couldn't close the deal. And everyone's like, oh, Brad Stevens is such an underrated coach. I'm like, no, Frank Vogel's an underrated coach. Um, Ty Lue's an underrated coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, freaking Billy Donovan is an underrated coach because he's yep. got the Bulls playing right now. Like he had the Oklahoma City playing so well. That was a Thunder team that nobody thought had a snowball's chance in hell last year. And Chris Paul and Billy Donovan. And Shea goes Alexander. That's why I had the Thunder as a play-in team this year, and a bunch of people had him in the lottery. I'm just like, well, Billy Donovan obviously is in Chicago now, but it feels like those players playing under those players uh, that played under Donovan last year, it's kind of carried over to this year. And I was like, no, Chris Paul and Billy Donovan like helped out the development. A lot a lot in Oklahoma city. And I, I, they're not going to be good, but I thought the thunder would at least be a playing team and Chicago hiring him. That was a great move. Um, Cause look at what Zach Levine's doing now. Lori marketing is back. Um, we could go on about underrated coaches, um, but I wanted to go back to Al Allen and Drummond real quick before we veer too far off. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but mm. I wanted to make this point about Jared Allen. Um, it, it became apparent that, well, obviously, when Kobe Altman says, like, you know, it's good to keep the restricted free agent in-house, and then uh, then there's all the reports coming out. I think you reported it as well, but the Cavs have had interest in Jared Allen for a while now. It yeah. kind of just seemed like there was a writing on the wall for Drummond. And when the Cavs um, went in the first Brooklyn game, the double overtime game, when the Cavs went to Jared Allen <laughs> to close, it was kind of it was one of those like it was like okay, this is like going to start really early, like the not like the friction, not friction, but like this is where I guess for lack of a better phrase, the poutiness starts because it was almost because mm-hmm. like. Allen ended up playing way more minutes in that game than Drummond did. And um, it just became apparent that the team was just so much ran so much better when Allen was out there. I was looking it up because I wanted to see if the numbers were matching it up with what I was seeing. But Jared Allen is already the first the fourth highest targeted player in terms of assist uh, from Garland and Sexton. So Jared Allen already has 10 assists. <clears throat> from D- Darius or Darius Garland has already thrown Jared Allen 10 assists and that's the fourth highest player 
for uh, mm-hmm. Garland already. And Sexton, well, Garland also averages like 13 potential assists per game, and six of those go to Andre Drummond most nights, and it's absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, it, yeah. The fact, but the fact that Allen is already caught up, yeah. um, in terms of being a target for both uh, Sexton and Garland, like Sexton has already thrown 11 assists to uh, Jared Allen this year, and that's like six behind Andre Drummond. Like it's become, it's very apparent how well these those two fit if you get two dynamic guards and you have like a rim running athletic big like Allen who doesn't need the ball um can catch lobs especially when cause it seems like Garland this year at least has been getting that floater down pat and that's like a nice little weapon to use it's like am I gonna throw the floater or am I gonna throw the lob and that puts the defense in an extra bind so it's it's mm-hmm. kind of been cool to see that um it's just it was apparent from the start that Jared Allen was the better player. He was going to get he was he was going to be more in closing lineups and when they're on the court they're probably going to be more productive. And I am sure Cavs fans at this point cannot wait for the offseason to come because well, if you guys don't trade Drummond or don't buy him out, um either way, there there's no way he's coming back to this team next year, I imagine. If, wild no. guess, I know. But no, I mean, the athletics, Kelsey Russo floated that idea of maybe bringing back Drummond and Sonny Allen to an extension. And it made me roll my eyes at the thought of it. Um, there's a less <laughs> than zero chance at this point, because like we talked about, um, Kobe said it's a good thing for them to have Allen in house. And I know they view him as a key piece in the franchise's future. And the vibe I get is the feelings mutual between Allen and the Cavs to just kind of bang out an extension as soon as possible. Just yep. because of the fact that Allen is just appreciating the fact that he is with a team that actually wants him compared to Brooklyn, who brought in DeAndre Jordan to keep Allen coming off the bench and kind of floated him in these trades and then traded him. Like it's a clear indication that Brooklyn didn't want to keep him long term or they're going to lowball him and keep him as a backup to DeAndre Jordan just to keep Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving happy and maybe James Harden too. Who knows? But, um, no, yeah. Uh, Drummond was the future plan for a bit. Then Allen, like I said, they found a new dance partner in Allen. It's just the partner they prefer. And I think just full steam ahead on him being the franchise center going forward, which is a good thing because he won't command nearly as much money as what the Cavs are paying Andre Drummond right now. Right, right. Um, let's go. So let's go to your the franchise's two other young cornerstones because I think Allen is going to be part – he should be a part of the Cavs' long-term future also, like, if I were running the team, which, you know, unfortunately I'm not running an NBA team right now. I probably do. Yeah. I do an awful job. But I would you keep kidding me, man? Jared you and me would run a We would run an NBA team, not to the ground, but, <laughs> you know, above the surface. <laughs> we, would def- we would definitely not have Twitter burner accounts like some old GMs that I won't mention. Hey, but, my uh, my sweater's got a pretty big collar today, so <laughs> I might have to pop up in a burner after this. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just wearing a white t-shirt. <laughs> the the luxury of California versus Ohio, it's like a solid single digits outside right now. Oh, I'm sure yeah. it's beautiful there. Yeah, so. uh, it is not not to do like a not to make it seem like I'm doing another West Coast supremacy thing because I really don't do that. But typical to, West Coast elitist yeah. folks. <laughs> Yeah, us coastal elites uh no but uh obviously i follow like you chris and you know Cavs, Cavs 
Twitter, but I also ha- follow Sixers writers too, and they're both on this West Coast road trip. So it's funny seeing, um, you know, Sixers writers and stuff just be like, it's... "Oh my God, we have to stay up for this game," and then stay up to afterwards to talk to the to talk to the players and the coaches. And I'm just sitting here, and I'm just like, "Oh, it's a uh, it's ten." <laughs> it's 10 feet not but uh yeah no i feel that like last night i told chris manning this this morning my co-host i'm like i he's like do you have any takeaways from this game i'm like i I stay up to watch this stuff (laughs) like really like i have to because i'm like contractually obligated to like i would so have been so happy to bang out this drum and piece not till two o'clock in the morning just gone to bed at a reasonable time (laughs) (laughs) hey but you know you Hey, we you get paid to watch basketball. That's yeah, the best that's thing. True. That's like the I best said, thing it's in a, the world. It's a blessing, man. So yeah. I can't complain too much. Um so going to the two other franchise cornerstones for the Cavs, um, I wanted to talk about Colin Sexton first because I have to say, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people who think this too, but they were just dead wrong, including myself. On oh, a Colin I Sexton, that. I hated that pick. Yeah, you were not you. You, I remember you and me kind of had the same thought process. Where it was like, at max, he could be a sixth man. I thought his defense was overrated going into the draft. Um, but he has turned himself into a hell of an offensive guard, man. Like one, I didn't think he would become a forty percent three point shooter his rookie year. So that was kind of the first indicator. Where I was like, okay, like we all knew he had a good work ethic. Um, we all knew he was competitive as hell, but there was just warts in his offensive game, the lack of passing, the tunnel vision. Is he going to be a good three-point shooter? Yeah, that was a big one. That was Alabama. that was the bit that was the big one, and he shot forty percent from three his rookie year. Next year, he takes a leap through all the, you know, the John Beeline stuff and all the bullshit that was going on. He still took a leap. Um. You know, was a little bit down in his three-point percentage, but was still 38%. This year, he has taken a whole nother leap. So, he's averaging <clears throat> he's averaging 23, 4, 2.5 uh, rebounds per game. His true shooting percentage went up from 56% last year, which was right around league average, to 57.6. And mm-hmm. he was way more efficient than that earlier in the season. Um I guess my first question with Sexton, before we talk about his improvement, um, why do you think so many of us, me and you included, why do you think so many of us kind of missed the boat on Sexton as a player? And what are the mistakes, what can we learn, you know, when somebody like Sexton, a player like Sexton comes out in the draft next time? What did we miss and what um should we have what should we focus more on now that Sexton has proven us wrong in terms of the player he can be um it's interesting to think and it's a cliche but like he's just a hard worker um yeah I've spoken to Colin a few times now and I you had a nice actually, piece for, about yeah. him on Forbes Sports uh, a Thank few you. weeks ago well yeah I was going to actually promote that one but then you dropped the the I figured the Andre Drummond one was kind of it'd be more funny and uh, <laughs> yeah I was being a bit of bully this apt. morning, <laughs> but um no Sexton shared with me that 
the way he lives life is he moves with a purpose and that's his mantra and tagline like it's in the, the story itself started with him parting with a local leather company in cleveland to produce high-end travel wear mm-hmm. um, because he was inspired by his mentor dwayne wade which his, is a like, very his, good mentor to have by the yeah, way dwayne wade and chris paul are colin sexton's mentors which is something i learned over the summer which is a big thing but that's two dudes he works with extensively on his game but Colin just loves basketball. Like it's a, it's a bit of a joke with his teammates that they don't really know what Colin's hobbies are outside of shooting hoops. They're like Larry Nance and Dylan Windler both kind of share the same sentiment where they think Colin goes home every day and just kind of sits on his couch and waits for his alarm to go off. So he can just head back to the courts and work out again. <laughs> um, but Colin's really into fashion and um, he's big on family and stuff too, but he's also a reserved kid and he just kind of likes to keep to himself, which I respect. But um, yep. No, like coming out of college, he was not a good three-point shooter. There was potential there um, because he was a solid free-throw shooter in college. And usually that translates to correlates. There's a direct correlation between free-throw shooting and becoming a competent enough shooter. But the problem is with Colin early into his rookie season is he wouldn't take that one step back just to be beyond the arc. He would be just inside the three-point line taking long twos. The dreaded long two. That's all Colin took for a while. And then – I know for a fact that a lot of people, myself included, wrote pieces that like Colin Sexton just isn't a three-point shooter. And like, that's really disappointing because this guy's like the successor to Kyrie Irving and like the Cavs could trade this pick to help LeBron and maybe keep him stay. But now that I know like for a fact, LeBron was never going to stay. He was always had his intentions to go to LA, but um, no, Colin just kind of took all that to heart. And he said, all right, F it. I'm going to keep working harder. And then he was snubbed for rising stars his rookie year. And then, just came out of gangbuster for the set remainder of the his rookie season got second team on rookie honors but the biggest thing is he became a solid three-point shooter and then after that the concerns became playmaking and defense and those were concerns last year he just became an even better three-point shooter to the fact where i consider him like an elite three-level scorer at this point and yeah something he we saw glimpses of when J.B. Bickerstaff took over and he created just like a basic pick and roll heavy offenses and darius garland was out at the time so Collins was the lead to guard there is Sexton's assist numbers like really went up under a basic pick and roll offense I think the Cavs just were doing a disservice to him offensively but he's become a better playmaker in his third season I guess junior year if you want to go like on class rankings and stuff but um, the defense is getting better too he's not completely abhorrent but he's not a world beater either but he has the god-given ability of a long wingspan to tap into and he's looking better there and then um, one of Plus his he biggest... has the give a shit factor, which is always yeah. that's a big ingredient for me in terms of wanting to be a good defender individually. Yeah, yeah no, he he tries like he fights through every single screen. I think that's a coaching thing, too, is like JD's yeah. really instilling that in them as well, which is a, a big thing. Um, and he's like talked about that with me. He's like, it's hard. I've had four coaches in two years at this point. Um, he's like, more than anything, I'm just sick of losing. He's like, well, I've, he's like, I never have done a lot of that in my life. And then I've been in Cleveland for this is my third year, but the first two years we did a lot of losing and I'm sick of it. And he's like, I think we're a playoff team. I think we have what it takes to be a playoff team. And I'm going to be the best teammate I can every single time I go on the floor. And it's a lot of cliches, a lot of bravado and stuff, but like you believe it was Sexton because he just would say like, I just work on my game and that's all I do. And you're like, okay, well, what are you actually doing? He's like, I just work on my game. And I'm like, okay, man. So yeah, no, he kind of thought is, it was the generic stock answer. Yeah, like yeah, he's like the generic give. like oh yeah, he's a real gym rat. He works really hard at his craft. He's one of the hardest workers on the Brings team. Brings his like, lunch pail to work every day. Yeah, a lot yeah. of coach talk. 
but oh, it's the real deal. Colin makes a concerted effort to be the best player, and the Cavs are kind of attached and tapped him to be the cultural leader, which is something he learned a lot of from Tristan Thompson all his time was here. It's just like how to engage his teammates and how to get involved with them. Like Collins really stepped up as a leader too. And like when Jared Allen and Torian Prince were traded here, he asked Cavs PR for their numbers right away. So he could text them and say like, Hey, what are your favorite spots on the floor? So like when I'm looking for you, um, where can I get you the ball? And like Torian Prince was like really responsive and Jared too, but Jared's more of like a pick and roll lob kind of thing. So like that's more so through play things, but like through cutting and stuff and like certain cuts, like, Torian's just like, oh, I like to stand on certain spots on the perimeter. And Colin's like, no, I make a concerted effort to make sure that I get the ball there whenever Torian is cutting because I want to reward him for a good play and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's that's a smart thing to do. So, but wow. the most like surprising development for Sexton's offensive game, which is kind of fun, is he plays balls to the wall every single possession. He's learned to compose himself a little bit, but he knows when he can use utilize that ability to draw contact and get to the free throw line. And that's the next step in his offensive game. And shout out to my co-host, Chris Manning, but he wrote a good piece about this. We fear the sword over the summer, like how this needs to be something. Like Colin was showing glimpses of it, but he needs to build upon it. And that's what he's really doing is Colin is using his contact consistently to get to the free throw line and then just make that another part of his game. So he's a consistent threat for Cleveland just on every facet of the offense. And then, yeah, like I told you earlier, like he went nuclear against Brooklyn in their big threes debut. And then the following night, he doesn't try and go for 42 shots and force a bunch of shots again because he's hyper obsessed with efficiency, too. I've come to learn like he's obsessed with numbers. He like his goal is 50, 40, 90. And you don't hear a lot of 22 year olds saying that. But he's yeah, like, I talked to him about it. He's just like, yeah, man, I'm a little disappointed. I had to get my free throw percentage up 8%. So that's something I'm going to be focusing on and working on. He's like, I just want to be a good teammate. And, um, but like Darius said, like, guys go for 42 they want to go for 42 again the following night no colin knew brooklyn was going to be paying attention to him on defense so he's more so looking to get his teammates more involved and he's also just an endearing player too like he has a big night ask i'm like oh how does it feel like you've kind of spoiled the big debut of the brooklyn nets and he's just like man i i was it's it's cool and all but i'm more excited that i finally got to play with torade and Jarrett because like I was so excited to have some new teammates out there and get them involved. He's like, I'm more excited for them to make them feel welcome. And I'm like, you're not a normal kid. You sound like a grown adult who's been playing this game <laughs> for so long. And like, I was talking to his agent about it and he's just like, yeah, Colin's just wired a little different. Like he doesn't like praise. He likes to deflect on others and he wants to get everybody else involved along the way too. And it's just, it's endearing. Like I said. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, when I think about myself at 22, uh, it, it's just it's crazy how polished these kids are now. Kids, I feel like I'm I'm old as hell when I say that. But when these when these dudes come in at like 19, 20, 21, 22, and they're just they're just incredibly and they've been told they're the best their entire life. Yep, yep, and they're and they don't but they still come better. in just polished like that. And you know, you talk about you know sexton going to the free throw line more he's already that's a good sign every year his free throw attempts have gone up he's averaging over five a game now his free throw rate is up um he's just it's it's rare that you hear when a player is obsessed with efficiency like that because now that word has kind of come with a bad connotation because we've swung way too far or early we swung way too far in terms of the analytics movement that it almost became like it, it almost became like a running joke or people would poo-poo poo that number or that word yeah. efficiency. Um, but it matters a lot still. And it's cool to see somebody with a different mindset like that. And I guess it just, it goes to show in the draft, like we have, we have 
done prospect researching prospects it's been combed so well with the fine comb now like everybody can do it pretty not everybody can do it but everybody has the tools at their disposal now to start evaluating prospects if they wanted to um there's more nuance to how we cover them that we almost get lot we almost want to push aside the uh the human element of things and i think that was one Mm -hmm. of the things that got swept under the rug as the analytics movement started taking off in the early 2010 decade we almost wanted to take out like oh is clutch a real thing is momentum a real thing like is it scientifically proven and stuff like that and i'm just like no you can't you can't define those things like i know it's not i know momentum sounds like a silly thing like oh all of a sudden like all of a sudden there's just times in the game where a team can't do anything and the other team is just running rep shot all all over you but it's a real thing like and when we're evaluating draft prospects we now kind of scoff at the whole oh i'm a hard worker mamba mentality and all that stuff like and Mm -hmm. you know the mamba mentality thing that took on a whole monster of itself obviously but in terms of like being extremely focused hard worker um you know gives effort all the time focuses on nothing but basketball and if that player has those qualities but might not be good at some of the skill stuff we kind of just already discredit them and that was kind of I think that was one of the things I fell victim to with Sexton is and it's weird because I don't I I don't downgrade or give a negative review based on those qualities i actually want those qualities in a player but i guess i was too focused on the things he couldn't do which i guess that's the thing we all do with prospects but with colin especially because now he's turned himself i thought trey young too i thought trey young at max was going to be a really elite offensive player coming off of the bench and now he's a fran- he's a damn franchise point guard. Well, he has been for the last few years. Um, and it's the same with Sexton, kind of. And it's like, I guess there's just things you cannot quantify, like being a hard worker and the willingness to improve. Um, but in terms of going to Sexton's other backcourt mate, um, Garland, forming Sexland, which has now become popular. But I think the Chase Down guy started it, right? They were selling shirts yeah. and stuff they, like that. Yeah, which, they popularized the nickname, and then Brian Windhorst mentioned it on his podcast. And then Larry and then, Nance popularized it. Now, and then yeah, yeah, well, Carter and Justin floated it to Larry behind the scenes, and then apparently Darius didn't like it at first, but then it turns out like they. That's do when like you know it. you have a good nickname. <laughs> yeah, and then um, yeah, the the, the Slim Reaper. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I asked Colin about that actually, and Colin's like, I didn't really care about it at first. And he's like, so many people like it, and he's like, I think it's cool that the fans want to embrace two young guys and like give us a nickname like that. So I'm riding with it, and like he made a post on IG after the story dropped. Yeah, here's what he said: I think it's cool that the fans feel so much love that they can want to give a nickname to young guys like that. Larry's calling us that all the time, so it kind of stuck with the team as well. I didn't feel one way or another when I first heard it, but now I'm starting to ride with it. Like that's <laughs> it's cool. Hell and, yeah. like Colin yeah, and Colin like made a tweet with like sex land with like the steam shooting out of the nose emoji, which is like just the sex emoji in my <laughs> eye because that's what he uses all the time. The, and, um, or the Ben Simmons emoji because he uses that every day on, on game day too. It could that's be the fair. it's the every player's emoji. It's but, uh, try it's triumph on Discord. I think that's a good way to describe. Yeah. It. So um, yeah, but, no, Darius. 
is an interesting player. So, so I was actually so this is what I was going to ask you. Um, yeah, go ahead. Was this season or this season so far? I feel like we have now gotten a glimpse of what <clears throat> you know with the pro- with the proper players around them and stuff like that. We'll get to your rookie Isaac Okoro uh, shortly here, but the way they're building this, the way JB talks about what his what the vision for his team is, the way Kobe wants to build, and they talk about culture and all that stuff. This season has kind of shown me that there are glimpses, huge glimpses, especially early on before injuries started happening, that you could build around a sexland backcourt. Like, theoretically, mm-hmm. it could work. Um, so I'm wondering what you think about that now. Because last year, there were kind of questions about it. I, w- I didn't think they weren't – I didn't think it was a – it would be a bad fit when the Cavs drafted Darius Garland. Um uh, back in uh, 2019, but it 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 was it was a little small. Um, it was flashes of like at max they could be Diet Coke, Damon, CJ, um, McCollum. Yeah. Um, so what have you seen from this season so far that makes you optimistic? Is my optimism about a future backcourt with Darius Garland and Colin Sex- Sexton wrong, or do you no. see glimpses of? you know oh okay maybe we can build we could build around this we could be a good team down the line building around these two you no know, i don't think you're off base at all i'm thinking that there's potential to um build something special here but i think a lot of it does have to go with the fact that the Cavs need to move on from Andre drummond and instill a bit more of a modern offense by playing jared allen alongside these two because at its apex like yeah it's not going to be dame and cj because dame is just another world yeah and cj mccollum is really good himself but I'm just talking about the template of yeah no the yeah. template's there for sure like a smaller undersized backcourt is a thing and like if you I don't know if people listening or maybe you've noticed but the Cavs draft strategy and like acquisition strategy is just to add size around these two yeah like Isaac Okoro is big Kevin Love and Larry Nance are big Andre Drummond and Jared Allen are big mm-hmm. um, Jetty Osmond's pretty big for his position too if you put him at the three or you play him with the two Okoro plays Prince the, is a big wing Torian Prince is big wing like the Cavs Damian Dotson plays one and two for the Cavs and he's a bigger player like the Cavs are trying to figure out ways to make this work so it's not a total mess defensively because offensively yeah the potential's there but um it all hinges on what you get from Darius Garland and people who maybe listen to me on my show or read my reading more often than not, I talk about like, it's all about the potential with um, Darius and the fact that like he showed flashes in his rookie season while dealing with injuries of like, okay, this guy has the medal to be a franchise point guard or like a lead ball handler for the Cavaliers. And maybe he won't be as explosive offensively as Sexton because he's just not as athletic and that's fine, but he's a very good shooter and he has shooter too. Yeah. And he's, um, has a good feel for the game and like i feel comfortable with him acting as a primary initiator and you can tell like he's comfortable operating in a pick and roll just running basic sets and everything else but like for every handful of good games there's a couple of stinkers in between or just like there's moments where you're like darius what are you doing like last night against denver there was moments in the first half where he was wide open at three and he would pass up that attempt just to try and get his teammates involved instead like i need him to be a bit more selfish and stop playing like an asshole so much at times Mm to really just capitalize upon that like 
he had double digit assists against the Minnesota Timberwolves and he's flirted with high assist numbers during the game. Like I need to see more of that too. And like, surprisingly, he is a pretty competent defensive guard. He has active hands too, like alongside Nance and Drummond early in the season. It's all gone to hell since then, but that's encouraging as well because he has a smaller wingspan. And like I said, he's unathletic and he's six one. So he's small and he's got a slight frame. So he's small for his position to begin with. So yep. Um, I'm just kind of waiting to see like what we get from Darius long-term and I've liked what I've seen. Um, it's not as concerning as li- like, let's say towards the end of this first half of the season, if Darius was looking more like the player that he was against or just last season in general, like there's games where he was a complete non-factor. You couldn't even tell he was on the floor. Like I'd be concerned, but, um, because this year is so unprecedented and I'm willing to walk that take back a little bit and just be a little bit more patient with him as well. But, right. um, so far, it's been okay with Darius, but for the sex land tandem to really be workable, he just needs to build some confidence in himself and just become a little bit more of a selfish player at times. It's fine that you want to be a good teammate and get everybody involved, but there's times you need to be selfish too so that down the stretch, people who watch this, like watch you guys and cover you guys closely, your coaches know you can be reliably leaned upon as an offensive threat other than give the ball to Colin and hope he figures it out because clearly as Cavs fans know that didn't work when LeBron was the first time around because like teams like Boston will overwhelm them but um no Darius has been good um it depends the Sexland experiment could get blown up though depending on how the draft lottery goes this upcoming offseason let's say the Cavs do get the first pick they I mean cutting yeah no no shred of doubt and like you could play all three <laughs> together in theory but I think the Cavs would be better suited at that point to play Cade and Colin together yeah, because those yeah. two on paper make more sense. And then you add a Coro into that mix. And then whether it's love or somebody else, at the four, and then Jared Allen at the five, and then you kind of roll with that instead. Um, that makes way more sense on paper than playing Garland Sexton and Cunningham together. And I can't wait to do my shitty version of scouting when I start watching these prospects, but I've watched, I've watched a few Cade Cunningham games this year. He's and fun. My God, he's going to be, he's like, well, I want to be careful with this because I thought Fultz was going to be a for sure all star coming out of his draft, but like I Philly broke Fultz though, to be fair. Yeah, well, yeah, some of it was his doing too, but yeah, Philly was not that whole thing. I don't want to. Yeah, no, I no. I this is a Cavs pod. This is a Cavs podcast. I don't want to. This is not a Brian Colangelo in front office, you know, rant because I've done that many times here, but. Um, I thought I think Cade has a chance to be well. I mean, it's it's obvious as shit, but I think Cade's gonna be really special. Um, and if any team has the first pick, I would not trade out of it out of it at no. all. You'd have to pry it from my cold dead hands. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, that obviously that calculus would change if the Cavs uh, if the Cavs get the first pick. Um, you mentioned you know Darius Garland and you know, him wanting to be more selfish. I do want him. I kind of see that too. I wish he would shoot more threes, especially with the range that he has. Um, I know he's baffling. He's taking one less attempt. Doesn't hardly takes three pointers. And it's so frustrating sometimes. It's like, I think that's also a design of the Cavs current offensive identity too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But uh, you would think, you know, he, he took five threes a game last year at 35%. He's shooting 40 this year. I, I would like him to at least that, at least like that to be six and a half or seven. Um, right. Um, before his injury, 
what I was most impressed with was his leap as a playmaker. And, you know, maybe some of that obviously is simplified because he had he had picked role partners with, you know, the bigs and Drummond was not playing like a potato before the Allen trade. Um, but I've been I like this season has kind of shown me it was like, OK, um, this backcourt could work. Garland's giving you long range buckets while playmaking a little bit. I think he's. I think it's fair to say he's ahead of Sexton in that regard in terms of playmaking, at least. But even though Sexton has been making incremental improvements himself, um, it just it just made it. I'm watching it more this year and my eyes are telling me that this makes more sense, I guess, is what I'm saying. And then um, I just wish that injuries weren't such a. Because a team like the Cavs, like, you know, before the season, we all had our expectations. You didn't think they'd be a playing team. Um, no. I, I didn't. I thought they were could be a fringe playing team with things going right. And that was kind of the thing with this. Like, with young teams like this and they're overperforming, things kind of have to go right. And one thing that could derail stuff is injuries. And you guys had... I had the numbers in front of me, but I think you guys have over 90 missed games combined due to injury, yeah. which is like the fourth most out of any team in the league. Um, a lot of that's Kevin Love, though, to be fair. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, but more so early on in the season, um, Garland oh, was, was Garland was like taking off, and then the injury kind of hit, and I think he's still trying to find his way back um, a little bit. But the numbers are still good, like, this year so far. Like, there's noticeable improvements where I'm like, okay, this backcourt is going to be – this backcourt can be something. I don't know what it is ultimately down the road, but it could it, – it definitely works for sure. Yeah. No, um, I just had low expectations. Like I said, low expectations – high results um yeah is what kind of what i had with this Cavs team so far this year like they're just playing really well to open the season and i don't think it's, maybe they could be a play-in team more of a fringe team like you said but i just don't see it really happening at this point just because Cleveland well if you asked me like so a week hard. and a half ago i probably would have said they were playing team <laughs> but yeah same here but then reality is the most sobering thing possible for a fan but um um yeah, I just I think they have the pieces. I think trading Drummond is going to really change things because I know I have my gripes about him, but you really cannot replace twenty points and fifteen boards a night so easily, even with Jared Allen playing better. But like, yeah. that's a that's a that's a big production drop off for the Cavs. Like, I know getting Kevin Love back will help a bit, but you don't know what kind of Kevin Love you're going to get back at this point because he's coming off a first an Achilles scare and then a calf injury that's just lingered and the Cavs are a cautious team to begin with. So he could have been, if they were a title threat with like a LeBron era, maybe he would have been rushed back further, but they're patient with their players injuries. But um, yeah, I think uh, Kobe Altman said it best when he said, we're evaluating the team this year. We're not really, because I think somebody asked him because Kobe is very limited in his media availability. He doesn't talk to the media very often, but he did after Jared Allen was traded to Cleveland. And um, he said, we're kind of in an evaluation phase. We're evaluating every member of this team. And I think the coaching staff is secure. Like JB and Kobe are attached to the hip. Like they are a package deal right now. So let's say Dan Gilbert gets fed up and fires Kobe. I think JB would follow. Um, I think Kobe would survive a JB firing, but it'd be pretty thin because that's three, four coaches under Kobe's watch that haven't last. But Oof. um. Yes, it's four. Now that I think about it. Um, wow, which is rough. But um, 
I, I think evaluation is a good way to put it. Like this team could be a playing team if they made a win now move at the deadline, but I don't see it happening. I think Andre Drummond's either going to be traded or bought out for assets. And I was told by a few executives, um, one to two second rounders is what Cleveland should be shooting for with Drummond at best. And maybe they get some players that can just kind of add a spark just because you're adding fresh bodies to the rotation and everything. Right. But um, no, it's uh. It's an interesting time for the Cavaliers. I think they're still in a transitional phase. I give them this draft. They get another top pick, and then the Cavs kind of have a cohesive identity with all these young players. Because let's just put it in perspective. So they'd have Garland, Sexton, Windler. Um, Nance is our age, but he's kind of a part of that young core. He's, he's viewed as a piece for the future. Allen, that's five. And then you have Osmond as well, who that's six. Kevin Porter Jr. unfortunately didn't last, but he's probably going to be really good for the Rockets, but it's just the reality of the situation there. And then you had a draft pick, like that's seven pieces right there. Like that's key players. Like Kevin Love's probably going to be back. That's eight. And then you make a couple fringe signings just to round out the rotation. Like Damian Dotson was a good signing for the Cavs. He's a lot of off-court concerns that are associated with him and his time in college, but like he's been a very good player for Cleveland on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, like Kobe is a very frugal general manager after the Kevin Love extension. Like that Larry Nance extension seemed baffling at the time, but now with Larry's evolution in production, like it seems like a steal of a contract. Jetty Osmond's extension for his polarizing and up and down of a player he is, his last year isn't even fully guaranteed. Like the Cavs could waive him and only have a count for like 150000 against the cap, which is absurd to me for a young player's agent to negotiate that kind of contract. But um, I think the Cavs are headed in the right direction. Um, right, they could be a fringe team that makes the play in tournament, which is a fun concept. But at the I same wouldn't time, make any moves to try to get there, yeah. Though, you, like, you th- kind of stick with what you have, you still keep building towards the future. If the hope young for guys internal kinda, improvement, yeah, you hope for internal improvement. If the young guys make that next leap, um, especially the look at this team post Drummond, if they make that next step, like. It's a lot more encouraging, and I think that changes the timeline a little bit in the offseason as well if, like, the young guys really make, like, a dramatic leap. But it's an evaluation right now, and I think the Cavs are in a good place. And if you and I had this conversation this time last year, well, John Balan would have just been ousted as coach around this time last year. I would have told you this team has no direction. So they've recovered well after a few bumps in the road, and they're in a good place right now. And I'm just intrigued to see where they head next. Yeah, I was going to – so I wanted to ask you about – the whole John B line and then transition to Bickerstaff. Uh, you, you, I don't know if you've been able to go to games at all during this uh, pandemic, but last. No, I have um, a pre existing condition. So, I okay, yeah. Oh, okay. My, I just wanted my parents, to double check. My parents check. are older too. So, yeah. I, mean, I see them every so often. So, I don't want to risk it either. Okay, yeah. I was double checking. I haven't gone to any Kings games at all either because I have grandparents who live up the street. I have my mom and dad live just down the freeway. I have all kinds of family yeah. here in Sacramento. Yeah, my, 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 my bubble's small, but the people in my bubble are older and yep. like my girlfriend has asthma. So I just try not to risk anybody involved. Yeah. Um, so. so I, so I wanted to ask this then. So last season when humans were allowed to go outside, you were basically there for the whole John Beeline saga and then transition to Bickerstaff being the interim and then becoming the full-time head coach. Uh maybe you can't um maybe you can't illuminate the differences now because you're not there in person often but i'm sure you still talk to people with the calves all the yeah. time and stuff like that but just talk about 
not trying to make this a talk about question because I hate those, but I guess what I'm trying to see ask you is what have been there's obviously differences from Beeline to Bakerstaff and then the whole thugs thing, the whole that whole saga, and then he was he was rubbing players the wrong way, maybe even before that. I'm just wondering what have you seen uh, in the difference between they because they talked about culture a lot, especially when uh, when uh, Bakerstaff became the full time head coach. All that was a word that was used a lot: culture, accountability. Um, kind of honestly buzzwords that I hear all the time with the Sixers now that's been the buzzword this year is accountability and culture and stuff like that but what have you just what has been what differences have you seen just from covering those bumps in the road with John Beeline and then now as we transition to Bickerstaff like how how has it been different with uh, Bickerstaff under the helm now versus you know the unknowns of a five-year giving a five-year contract to a college coach mm-hmm. and then the dynamics of a college coach trying to tell grown men and pros what to do which is always a tough needle to thread and then you completely blow that chance up with comments you made and then telling the players that they're not playing like thugs anymore and then the whole I actually said slugs and then bone slugs and harmony was like the number one joke everybody made on Twitter uh what so what has been the night and day difference? What have you seen from the tri- that transition between two coaches? Um, it's just more so the fact that John Bayline was a coach that tried to force a square peg into a round hole mm-hmm. and with his offensive system, and he tried to make the players fit to him instead of making his system fit to the players. And JV is just kind of that, and it doesn't help. or it helps in JV's case, but it didn't help at the time. Um, the players were just kind of deferring to JV once they started tuning Bayline out and that's just the thing it's like JB has the pulse of this team he has the respect and attention in this locker room um, Colin says he loves playing for JB I think Larry feels the same way uh, Kevin Love is a big JB Bickerstaff guy because they go way back all the way back to Minnesota together so like they have a good relationship um, Andre Drummond respect like a lot of people respect JB Bickerstaff because he's been an assistant who's grinded and um, he's a black head coach too which with, and, uh, yeah it matters with a, especially now which, which is matters now and especially in the nba like that's a big thing too and like yep. to have a strong voice like that in the community and as um just a black leader in general like that's huge for the Cavs too um so yeah bayland just trying to college approach and trying to new do what he knew best just kind of have the team tuning him out doesn't help that the veterans were tuning him out first and then the young guys followed because those are the players that's a trickle that, down effect with that yep and um Bickerstaff just kind of it's not just his team it's their team that's like it's a socialism ideology they have he told me but um like during the off season and for Cleveland it was almost nine months they had a bubble mini camp in between but they didn't go to the Orlando bubble so they had nine months off from March until December and they had training two training camps in between that but either way um they said they'd have like daily zoom calls where they would focus on the numbers and they'd look at tangible data and use apply analytics to improve the team offensively and defensively and um Bickerstaff being a big proponent of the modern movement but at the same time also being a player's coach because like people have asked him like how he's like how much do you rely on analytics he's like it's like he's like it's like 60 40 or 70 30 sometimes so like somebody has one do you use plus minus he's like no not really he's like plus minus is like the worst indicator for analytics at times because i also know what a player's impact and value is because i yeah. coach them and i understand the game better than 
algorithms can tell me, but there is tangible data that shows like, okay, well, this player in this situation is better suited than versus this player in this situation. So like, that's just a refreshing take. And um, his, <laughs> Hell offense yeah, is, it is. his offense is very vanilla and bland. Um, that's always been his criticism, but like defensively, the Cavs really have taken a lot from Miami's book where they start off in man and they can switch to zone in the middle of possession and switch back to man. Like they are a very smart and well-coached defensive team and, JB is about the results, obviously. He uh, didn't directly quote Ty Lue, but I thought Ty Lue, when Ty Lue once said, he's like, it's not about wins and losses, it's about wins and lessons. When JB said, like, listen, we can lose games, it's fine, but if I know the team is out there trying their best, I won't be upset with the results if we lose. But yeah. if, like, I know they're not trying, I'll be furious. And, like, I know against Denver last night, he was very upset. And then the other night against the Knicks, when they lose like 120 to 90 off the top of my head, he was not happy. And he just said like, there was no effort and like we couldn't pass the ball or make a shot to save our lives. And just like, we became discouraged right away. And then he doesn't, but he doesn't blame his players publicly either, which I think is a huge thing as well. Like he doesn't name players unless it's for praise, but for criticism, he doesn't name them. He more so just shoulders responsibility himself. Like when the Cavs had that one night, I'm sure you saw, they attempted like 15 three-pointers the entire night. It was against Minnesota, I believe. And that was the talk. And then somebody asked him, like, oh, That was the was first wrong? Minnesota loss. The first Minnesota yes. game, right? The blowout? Yeah. Or not and the then, blowout, but it was close. It was, it was, it was close a, in the fourth, and then it kind of got away. It was just an ugly game overall. Yeah. And the Cavs, like, weren't attempting threes. And they're like, what the hell's up? And somebody asked him. He's just like, he's like, that's on me. He's like, we're going to go back and work on this. And then I need to do things better to set my players up to succeed. And, like, I think him being a player's coach with a touch of analytics on top of that is huge. And, like I said, he's a black coach, too, which is also a big thing. So he's has – and he's a leader in the locker room and just has a strong voice and presence in the organization. And um, – I people like for some reason last night were clamoring for him to like maybe we should talk about firing JV Bickerstaff or like things like that. I'm like no stop this is the Guys, problem you can't get impatient just after a few bad losses you need to look at the full picture not just it that that's what happens when you exceed expectations to start yeah and, and then yeah. Dave Dufour said it best like you can't crystallize your take or Baker take off just one game by itself yeah you need like a large sample size to say like okay there's a problem here or like I gave my co-host Chris Manning a lot of credit. He's more of an advanced numbers guy and an analytics guy than I am. Like he really lives, breathes, and eats that stuff and sinks his teeth into it. And mm-hmm. was kind of like pointing out the fact like the Cavs really aren't a good offensive team and they aren't a good three-point shooting team, but like they have this weird dichotomy of being active on defense and just being in the right spots on offense that's working right now. Um and it's going to fall off eventually, and it has. And it's just the Cavs hit a few bumps in the road. But I have full faith that Bickerstaff and his staff are going to kind of just adapt things and make things better. Um, I kind of have an idea of why they're playing Drummond so much. It's just they're trying to boost his trade value to try yeah. to maximize his mm-hmm. resale as much as they can. But once they kind of get through that, I think the Cavs are going to be in a lot better of a place offensively. And um, defensively, they're pretty solid to begin with. Like, they got have gotten embarrassed by a few contending teams, but I think that's just to be expected because the Cavs can get yeah, talented. Uh, yeah, I think anytime you guys have gone up against the contenders, it's been a beating anyway. Like they've yeah, yeah. or it's just it's it's either a surprising win like against yeah. the Nets or the Sixers early in the season, or it's just kind of been a beating like at the hands yeah. of Milwaukee or Denver last. Denver was Denver was probably the worst loss this year for the Cavs so far, but it's not the end of the world. I said, like I said last night, the silver lining is, is as the Cavs lose. Yeah. It stinks to watch them kind of get embarrassed on TV like this, 
the silver lining is, is they're stumbling in a draft lottery positioning. Like this time last week, they were 10th, 11th in lottery standings and they're tumbled back down to fifth. And I don't think that free fall is going to stop anytime soon. So yeah, by the time Cleveland's back home, they could be easily like in the top three again for lottery positioning. And I don't think that's a bad spot to be in where you're like either a fringe um, playing team or you're a lottery team with the flattened odds. Like, yeah, with the flat not that's the thing. The flat nods yeah. have kind of changed everything. Yeah, like there's not a huge incentive to tank so much anymore. But um, it's more so incentive to tank in the if you're in the middle if and you yeah. know you're not going to make it. But the play-in yeah. does change things because now there's two extra seeds too. Yeah. Um. No, for sure. And um, like the Cavs when they're at the ten spot, like that wasn't or seven. They're sorry, they're at seven. Like that's their ideal spot. Usually, that meant they're about tenth place in the Eastern Conference but seventh in lottery odds just because of how bad the East is. And that's not a bad position to be in because you have a 25% chance of a top four pick and yep. the top five to eight pick in this year's draft is pretty good, but a top four pick is really good. And that's a good spot for Cleveland to be in. And I'm not complaining too much. Cause like I said, at the top, I ain't got much to complain about. They won it all in 2016 and they are showing progress and building out of the shadow of LeBron is no easy task. I'm fascinated to see how the Lakers do it. LeBron either leaves or hangs it up. And yeah, um, my, it took Miami such a long time to <laughs> bounce back. So it's, uh, it's just been an interesting time for sure. Uh, two more Cavs questions. Um, your fourth, your, your fourth overall pick this year, Isaac Okoro. Was he the fourth or the fifth? I can't remember off fifth. the top. Okay, fifth. Darius I knew were... I got that wrong. <laughs> no, the joke is the Cavs were the worst team two years in a row, and they got the fifth pick for it. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I think you. I think uh, Okoro has been. I understood the pick at the time. Uh, me and uh, my co-host Chris were we were debating if it made sense fit wise, um, and I was just thinking the Cavs just need players and good defensive players around Garland and Sexton um he kind of showed some promise with his three-point shooting which was the bugaboo with him going into the draft he was shoot he in the preseason he shot a ridiculous percentage that I never obviously it wasn't sustainable and then he had those first two games um the game that stuck out to me before his injury obviously he only played two before he got hurt the double overtime game in Detroit where he didn't score a single damn point, but he was plus 16. And I don't know if people realize how hard that is to do as a player, but as a rookie to do that. Um, He, like you said, he's already guarding some of the best players in the league. It's probably already, I think he's already their best wing defender, NBA ready body. Um, his three-point shooting has kind of gone back down to earth um well maybe below the earth at 27.6 percent um but I really like this rookie though like if you can have an impact like that without scoring the ball much always guarding the team's best player and I do think there's some offensive I always think with these type of guys there's always some maybe there's some offensive stuff they can uncover. I don't know what their ultimate ceilings would be, but like somebody like Sadiq Bey, um, mm-hmm. I think he has, you know, he's not, doesn't have the quickest first step, but with his three point shooting, he could, you know, beat a, I think he has the chance to beat a closeout and finish at the rim with his length and size. Um, there's other stuff he could do offensively, like cut and stuff like that. And I kind of yeah. see that with a Coro 
And, uh, you know, obviously he's his scoring is never going to be the thing we should ever be worried about. But um, the defense, I think, is as advertised, even if catch all metrics and stuff like that say otherwise. I don't care. I just I I've liked what I've seen from him on that side of the ball, which is his calling card. And that's going to be yeah. his calling card early on. So what has been your assessment of a and um Obviously, we could talk about his fit down. I think the fit is pretty obvious. But what have you liked what you from what you've seen with the Coro so far? What do you think he could improve on in the context of fitting with these with uh, this roster uh, down the road? Well, I, it's a weird thing because some fans want to bench Isaac for Torian Prince, and I think that's a terrible idea because you're going to be overachieving just wants people wanting more, <laughs> I guess. Cavs fans are a fickle thing. I'll say that. I think having Kyrie Irving and LeBron James play for your team is kind of maybe expectations unrealistic for other young players. But um, I, th- I think it's more so paramount to um, the fact that JB Bickerstaff was known in Memphis and especially in Memphis, but also in Houston to never play his young players and more so lean on his veterans. Isaac is consistently leading the team in minutes most nights because he believes Isaac is the team's best perimeter defender and like a multifaceted defender. Yeah. And like you said, you can't really track what he does on a box score basis. It's more so it's like an eye testing as cliche it sounds, or there's advanced metrics too, like in terms of plus minus as well, where like Isaac is just, very 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 good defensively and um like you said he's defending the best players in the world and he welcomes the task and the opportunity and it's just been tough like yeah and that's the thing coming out of auburn he wasn't going to be a very very good offensive player like there's potential like it's not like he was his shot was broken or like his handle was irredeemable or like usable and um no the potential's there like he has shown some flashes as a tertiary playmaker which is a pleasant surprise um I think Bickerstaff's biggest thing is just to get him confident in shooting threes and just even if he doesn't make them, keep taking them because eventually they'll fall. And Isaac is just also a lot like Colin and Darius in that regard where he'd rather pass the ball to set up a teammate or make a better play than take an ill-advised three that might be viewed as a selfish player as bad as a turnover. And um, it's not a terrible thing. But um, no, I think Isaac With is this in a good place. this type of team, you kind of want them to yeah. be a little bit more selfish. Yeah, and at the same time, like, you have Garland, you have Sexton, those two are kind of your motors for offense, and, like, they're going to be ball-dominant players. Why would they draft another ball-dominant player when they can get a complimentary wing defender in a Coro and somebody who, like you said, can act as a slasher and a cutter and offensive sets, and he just better operates off the ball, and, like, the Cavs will put the ball in his hand sometimes, act as a facilitator and initiator, and they try to do that with Kevin Porter, and I think it worked a little better there than it will with – um uh isaac but i i like where isaac's at i told chris this today like because we somebody asked us like do you it was one of our mailbag questions like do you think they should be able to bench isaac and i'm like don't throw out the bath the baby with the bathwater kind of situation here um <laughs> isaac's not going to win rookie of the year it's going to be Lamelo ball just because Lamelo ball is a flashier player more exciting but isaac's also not going to be a rising star but that's okay um the Cavs may have taken a player that complements them better um the only other player that would have made sense for Cleveland at five is Tyrese Halliburton. You just want to get real funky with it, and then you have to break up sex land. But like a playmaker like that who has the ability to shoot and defend, like Halliburton was good. But Halliburton and Killian Hayes and a few other guards also told Cleveland, I'm not interested in coming to your team, so I won't interview with you because it's all virtual this year. 
And so that kind of made things tough. But like, no, Isaac's a good kid. He has a little bit of that Sexton work ethic. So I have full faith in his ability. And Cleveland has turned Sexton in, Jetty Osmond, both players coming out of their respective drafts or as respective rookies who weren't noticed shooters into pretty well, at least in Sexton's case, reliable shooters. Osmond has the propensity to shoot the ball from the bay on the arc. So I think Cleveland could fix Isaac as well. It's not like he's completely broken, like we all said. And um Right. He said he was like a C plus shooter at Auburn. And now he considers himself like a B plus to an A minus shooter. And it's not necessarily translated. I give him a solid B, but like his mechanics aren't totally broken. And he looks really good. And he's looked solid at times defending some of the best players on the floor. And that's no easy task. And like you said, especially for a rookie. And um, I think he's a good pick. I think he's a good cultural piece too, because he has a hard high intensity work ethic and he tries to maximize and bring the most out of his teammates too. Yeah. That was the um, other thing. He just fit culturally with what they yeah. wanted to do. Hard nosed defender, all that. The Cavs really like guys who have played for team USA that have high culture marks and um, get rave reviews from their coaches in college. Like Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Dylan Windler, Isaac Okoro, all were guys in that archetype. And then Kevin Porter Jr. is just a player that Kobe Altman really liked a lot and was like following since high school. And the potential's there with KPJ. It's just if he's willing to capitalize on it. Yeah. And so, it, 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 yeah. Um, I've, I, what well, obviously I've told you before, I, I loved Cape, I loved uh, Kevin Porter as a talent coming out of the draft, but there was obviously a lot of, I guess, baggage for lack of a better phrase came with, came with it. Um, and obviously it didn't work out, but, uh, the Cavs have a they've had they've had a they've had a few good drafts and I've just uh, they've really not they knocked it out of the park with the Sexton pick which I was mm. wrong about. Um, Garland was a a pick that was it I wouldn't say it was risky. He was just one of the more polarizing players because it was like yeah. oh look at the range he has but he's small. Um, he was getting some Kyrie comparisons which I don't get. Or understand. He also got Dame comparisons too, and I'm like, we're getting real lofty here, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, not only, I mean, Dame, I could see with the range suiting, just but that's where it stops. But with Kyrie, it was kind of like, um, I don't know. It, I just didn't see it. But uh, you guys have, you guys have definitely, or you guys, but uh, I, I like doing. I still do the Wii stuff with my team and yeah, all that I, stuff. I do too, and <laughs> yeah. I have to catch myself sometimes. Yeah. Um, but uh. One more Cavs question, and I ask this to every person. I'm going to ask this to every person who comes on to talk about their team. You, like I mentioned, have become a Cavs rising media star. Um, oh, thank you. You have – oh, of course, man. I mean, you're right, well, you're writing for Forbes Sports. You're an editor at Fear the Sword for SB Nation. And you have created a really cool community with the Locked on Cavs podcast. It's been a little over a year since you joined. So you – so you have a like a following, um, I would say a good following, and uh, you see takes all the time. I'm sure you're in the Cavs subreddit and other Cavs forums and stuff. And there's popular opinions, there's consensus opinions, different opinions as well. I want you to give me your unpopular Cavs take. Oh, gosh. Um, hmm. My ten, uh, most of my takes are unpopular. People don't like the fact that I like Kevin Love so much. So 
I think Kevin Love is just a criminally underrated player in his time in Cleveland. And I think is also, he's just underappreciated in general in the grand scheme of the NBA. And I think it's just going to be a case of once he leaves Cleveland, fans will come to appreciate what he brought to the team in terms of offensive production. I wish they could see it now in just terms of spacing and the fact that he is a consistent three point threat, but yeah. um no, that's just like that's why always been my biggest hang up is people are just like, why does Kevin love why does Evan like Kevin Love so much? It's just because he works them in his foundation. I'm like, yeah, no, I respect Kevin a lot for what he does off the court a lot, a lot, but um just more so the fact that um people just he's always been the scapegoat ever since LeBron came back. It's just kind of a shame because even after he committed to save, people are like, Oh, it was his choice that he's unhappy. I'm like, No, he thought they were gonna be a playoff team. And that's the other hang up is like people think kevin love should be he's the victim of his own hand he's the reason why he's the victim of his own unhappiness and i'm just like no there's a little more to that so i think kevin love is just an underappreciated player and i hope um him and tristan alongside lebron and Kyrie, get their jersey like Kyrie said a lot of good things about cleveland it was the right thing to say when i asked when he was asked about it the other day about like being back in cleveland when brooklyn was in town but I think Kyrie is going to help smooth things over with Cleveland, the organization, and then fans who are still kind of butthurt about that whole incident. And then I hope one day, like everyone can just look back at this championship era Cavs team with fond memories. And then we see 13, zero, two and 23 hanging in the Raptors, maybe five, maybe JR is the Cavs next big project to smooth things over with. Cause it'd be cool to have the starting five and get yeah. their jerseys retired. Well, Kevin, how, how fundamental that championship was to this city. Well, Kevin Love also played, what, the most important 10 seconds of defense in that entire series in Game 7 when he was guarding Steph uh, in the in the last, what was it, 40 seconds of that game. And it was the, uh, it was the potential game-tying three-pointer, uh, I believe. It was that right after Kyrie hit that big shot and Kevin Love yeah. just locked up Steph. And I remember... I remember watching that game seven um, in our in Arcata up in Humble, where I went to college. There's this Arcata. There's a place called the Arcata Theater Lounge. It's an old school theater um, where you like walk on the sidewalk and you'll see this giant neon sign and all that stuff. That type of theater, and mm-hmm. they've had the game on, and I was watching it with some of my fraternity brothers, and. You know, obviously, I didn't care who won, but I was a Steph guy, so I was kind of going for the Warriors, too. But I didn't care if LeBron won because I wanted LeBron to just get one for the Cavs also. There was part of me with that. But, like, the three things we were freaking out about, one, the fact that nobody scored for, like, six straight minutes in that fourth quarter. We The, the tension in the room was very palpable, and... Obviously, we there was a bunch of Warrior fans in there, but a lot of my fraternity brothers were LeBron fans, and uh, they were rooting for LeBron. I was kind of in the middle. But the fact that nobody would score for that long stretch, the block, which we were running around the entire theater when that happened, I was like, oh, my God. Like, we just saw the greatest block in NBA history. And then, obviously, the shot. But we were flipping out when Steph – uh got locked up by Kevin Love on that possession because how many times yeah. did we see that year well every time in Steph's career where a big is out on Steph and it's death it's like okay yeah. what's gonna happen here and he was giving him one move then a third move and Kevin Love was staying down and you could tell he wanted to jump but he was like he like something in his mind was telling him stay on the ground and just react on the floor and 
it and when Steph launched that three and bricked it, we were we were all looking at each other. We're just like Kevin Kevin Love just walked up Steph. Like we were just freaking yeah. out. <laughs> and, no, that was wild, man. And yeah, I, and I agree with you. Kevin Love is underappreciated. Like he he, he was the third he mo- banana. He modernized the four. The yeah, four position. He uh, he definitely he was underappreciated he was the third banana he caught a lot of flack but he made import he had he was important to the cavaliers and so mm. uh damn i didn't know that was that unpopular i thought yeah know, a lot of people don't like kevin love for some reason and i just don't i'm like y'all are just a bunch of wieners whatever man <laughs> like haters gonna hate i guess um okay so one last question um shoot have you what uh, I I can't let you go without asking you. Of course, uh, has there been any new shows or anime you have been watching recently? And I have a confession to make to you. Uh, when you hopped on my first podcast, I have to get this off my chest now. When you came on my first podcast and we were ranking animes, I have to tell you I fucked up when I was mm-hmm. ranking my animes because I did not have Dragon Ball Z in there. And I gave you the reasons why. And after I was done recording that podcast, it was one of those, what did I just do? I tried to galaxy brain myself. And I put in Promise Neverland, which fucking take that out. Um, watch the first season. The second season is terrible. They're butchering the whole story. Um, as a manga reader, I'm pretty upset. But I fucked up. I overthought it. Dragon Ball Z was crucial to my life growing up. It is in my top five. Um, I have to rearrange my top five, but I remember taking that out and I remember your reaction. You're like, oh, and then I was like, wait, did I galaxy brain myself? And I did. I did. Dragon Ball just it 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 holds a special place in my heart. But I That's just wanted to make pick, that man. confession to you real quick because I fucked up. But uh, as a Dude, bit, you're, you're all good. Don't worry about it. Um, TPC is always a good pick. Uh, my buddy size checking out girl and look on and i've been watching that again which is always a classic oh my um, god it is so good i remember you I recommended check- that to me and i was like oh this this show i was watching it and i was like man this show it, it felt like a popcorn show at first and then it just wasn't it became dope yeah it's just it's insane how f- crazy it becomes um i've been watching i've been checking out skate the infinity it's pretty fun it's um it's just a it's a it's like a charming anime that just takes on like the concept of skateboarding and studio bones handles the animation which is oh shit uh, always such a good group to begin with and then the world of it just it's it's about determined skateboarders from all over the world and his dangerous ai opponents and unexpected surprises say the show again skate the infinity so it's spelled sk8 so it's real cool the infinity and um it's just like I don't know. I enjoy some sports anime. Sometimes they're funny, like Kuroko Basket's always fun too. Um, I recommend that for those who are anime fans and also hoop heads as well. It's I did a whole everybody. comparison on it. Uh, you did. It was great. And um, the nerdiest shit I've ever done. No, I, I get that, man. There's no, no shame in that at all. Oh um, yeah. No. Oh, I'm I'm fully I I fully admit it too. I'm just, it, there's no shame in my game. But it it was it was some nerdy shit that I was proud of. Did we talk? about <laughs> Have I been on since I watched JoJo all the way through? I've watched all of JoJo, and I yeah, no, it. I had well, I had you on in October, but I think that was just a LeBron love fest. I just wanted to do yeah. a whole LeBron love fest, but no, uh, I I haven't had you on to talk about JoJo's in full. We need to have another episode where we talk about JoJo in full because there's a lot to unpack. But um, yes, it is. 
I got a couple of my friends into it. I'm like, it's like one of the most homoerotic animes you'll ever watch. Like there's like in <laughs> individual scenes. You're like, this is the weirdest show ever. But I'm like, I promise you, you get through like the first two acts and then it just suddenly becomes really good. And then oh, you're so like, you didn't like, you it. didn't like the second uh, act. I enjoyed that. it, but I'm just, it, it was dry at first. So I'm like, it takes a little bit of time to sink your teeth into, but like once they introduce the concept of stands, that's when it becomes the yeah. most fun. Mm-hmm. But like the first act when it's just like Dio and it's the original Jojo. Yeah. And I they, can't like, stand he, the Dio, first act. Dio I'm... took his wife's then wife's or then girlfriend soon to be wife's honor by kissing her. I'm just like, yeah, a little much for me, but um, I have kill a kill on my docket. I'm getting through berserk, which is just like a very brutal show to begin with it's very intense and gory and um it's just because i enjoy guts theme a lot and i'm like oh it's a good song let me check out the show and i'm like this is this is pretty intense but um kill a kills next on my docket um i've been always meaning to watch and then hunter x hunter is another one too that i've always been meaning to like really check out so uh, that that's gonna be next for me on my list i think but it's just been kind of a trickle i've been watching a lot of wandavision lately i've been loving that and then um yeah i'm waiting on wandavision for all the episodes to come that's out a, that's probably a good call because it's uh her the first juicier. two episodes didn't get that great of uh reviews <laughs> i the was kind of worried episodes, at first. i'm just yeah i was like this is weird and then there's an episode where it kind of like because there's subtle hints of things that are going on within the show and then there's an episode where they they pull back the reins a little bit and she's like okay this is what these like bonus scenes are with context which kind of wish maybe they could do that towards the end but it also helps with story building and stuff too but it's gonna set up the mcu in an interesting way and then like falcon and the winter soldier will be fun too um, yeah the trailer for that was hype and then yeah, we'll just kind of see what happens next. Definitely going to watch WandaVision. Uh, Kill a Kill and Hunter x Hunter are definitely those. I, I am excited for you to uh, watch those, watch those two. And I will make this plea because it is my podcast, but I am begging you to give Attack on Titan another shot. I know just it's a meme for you chance. at this point. Yeah. And you and you and you like poking and prodding with the jokes. They hurt every time. I'm just letting you know it's working. it's killing me on the inside but it just just, i have to do my normal plea with you every time you come on so just just throw it out there if you ever change your mind about it it's in the final season it's lit and i think after the end it's well for me it's already i think it's my favorite anime ever and it's not particularly close um either uh but just 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 one little plea that's that's all they keep playing. Hold on, I'm gonna roast you on my Discord. <laughs> but uh, Evan, yeah. um, this was fun as always. Next time you come on, we'll definitely talk more JoJo's and other fun stuff. Um, I can't believe we did an hour and twenty on the Cavaliers, but felt like it was There's, much they're, needed. They're interesting, like you said. There's and a lot to unpack. Yep, they're interesting as hell. And uh, you know, people might have started tuning out in the in the last week and a half after they've started losing a bunch, but. I'm still watching, so I just wanted I just wanted you to know that I might not be watching every game that. as much. Um, there's probably going to be other teams I'm going to be keeping track of or starting to watch more. But just know I'm always watching the Cavs, and I'm always rooting. I'm always rooting for my friends' teams too. That's just the thing with me. So I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll because of that nice request, I'll give Attack on Titan another shot, I guess. But um, yeah, no, <laughs> it, we we need an hour and twenty to unpack JoJo because there's a lot. Yeah, yep. Evan Damarell, everybody. Thank you so much, sir.
Thanks again to Evan for joining me on the podcast. It was, as always, a lot of fun. Thank you for taking the time out to listen to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Spread the word. Leave a like and a review and all that good stuff. And until the next episode, deuces. Deuces.